When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than fifty? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find forty-five there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again he spoke to him, what if only forty are found there? He said, for the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we look at this passage together. Father God, I thank you that you have called each one of us here tonight. I thank you that you're a God who speaks. And Lord, I thank you that you have something to say to each one of us that you invite us to draw closer to you and to know what's on your heart. Amen. So, good evening. I'm Kat Meakin. I'm the children's pastor here at Holy Trinity. And I am very excited about the royal wedding. I run a group called New Creations, which is a group for mums of children, 0 to 11. It's a place we invite people into Holy Trinity for the first time so they can come to hear about Jesus. And at this group on Wednesday morning, we are going to have a royal wedding party. I've been into the attic and got out my Union Jack bunting, which I stored up there from last time. We, people are baking and we're going to make a poster of Harry and Meghan. One of those big life-size, don't want to kick that over, one of those big life-size posters and we're going to cut the heads out, the faces out, so that people can put their babies up and photograph them. <laughs> it's going to be very classy. 
if any of you want to come and help with the creche or help with the mums, do just let me know. But the reason we're doing it is it will just be a bit of fun. When you have small children at home, life can be very monotonous and you're just doing the same thing again and again. So we want to have a jolly morning. However, just imagine this. Imagine if the Queen came to our party or Harry and Meghan. I mean, that would turn a bit of fun into something that we would never, ever forget. And that's what we see in our passage tonight. There is a link. Abraham is in his tent with his family and God turns up. The Lord himself arrives. And then look at verse 17. The Lord says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Well, I tell you, even if the queen does come to our party here, I really doubt that she would take me aside and ask my opinion on, on the monarchy and what she should do. I am not waiting for Theresa May to phone me up and ask what she should do about the state of the nation. But the Lord Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord of the far-flung galaxies, the all-powerful, all-knowing and inscrutable Lord takes trouble here to explain his actions to one individual. It is extraordinary. And there are three questions about God that we're going to explore tonight as we consider this verse, verse 17, and what follows. So the three questions are, why does the creator of the universe share his heart with Abraham? That's number one. Number two, how can we know if God is good? And number three is, what do we do when we're not sure that he is good? So as we examine what happened in this passage, keep those three questions in mind and bit by bit, we're not going to answer them one at a time. We're going to bit by bit piece together the answers for all three. So, verse 20. The Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So God answers his own question. Yes, he will tell Abraham what he's planning on doing. But Abraham is horrified. Abraham does not like hearing what God's going to do because he knows that God is going to find a lot of bad things when he goes down to Sodom. Ezekiel 16:49 tells us, this is the sin of Sodom. She and her daughters are arrogant, they're overfed, they're unconcerned. They do not help the poor and the needy. They're haughty. They do detestable things. And we see in the chapter after the one we're reading tonight, in chapter 19 of Genesis, that when God's visitors visit um, Sodom, the people there try and rape them, and then they try and rape Lot's daughters. So things are not good, and Abraham knows this. Maybe he's worried because his nephew Lot lives there. Or maybe he's worried about the other people he knows. They're his neighbors. He's met the king. He's rescued these people in Genesis 14. 
Sodom isn't a distant town. They're his neighbors and they're living people. And also Abraham knows that not everybody there is equally bad. So there's a big question in Abraham's mind as we start this story. You see it in verse 25. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Is God the sort of God who punishes the innocent along with the wicked? So that's our second question that we're going to be looking at tonight. Abraham is asking, is God good? Is he just? Is he fair? And I'm sure we've all been there. It is impossible not to come to times in your life when you see a situation or you're part of a situation that causes you to ask, is God really powerful and loving? Does he really care? Can I trust him after this? Could be something big or something small that causes you, that causes me to question God's goodness. It could be just when it rains on your picnic and you really, really prayed that it wouldn't. Or it could be something bigger, when a relationship fails, when a loved one is sick, when exams unravel, when our child is suffering, when we're longing for a child, or a natural disaster, or poverty, or brokenness. When something's happened to us, or a loved one, or we see something in the news, we can be left with this question, if God is loving and powerful, how can this awful thing have happened? It doesn't make sense. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is life so unfair? How can a loving God and a powerful God let this happen? And this is where Abraham is. He asks God, how can you do this awful thing when you're good? How can you punish the innocent with the wicked? Let's read from verse 23. Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. And this is not a new question. It goes back to the Garden of Eden and we still wrestle with it today. Is God good and can we trust him? In the Garden of Eden, right back at the beginning of time, Eve saw the fruit and the snake basically said, God isn't good. He wants you to miss out on this lovely fruit. He wants to keep you from enjoying good things. He's only out for himself. So, so far we've read that God shared his plan with Abraham and Abraham doesn't like what he hears and he wonders how can a good God do this? And we come to our third question of the night, which is, what do you do when you find yourself in this situation? when you are faced with something that suggests that God isn't good. Abraham is desperate to understand. It's not a game to him. John Wright writes, Abraham has built his life on God's justice and faithfulness, and he is dismayed by what he sees before him, a God he no longer understands. This threatens their whole relationship. It is torment to love a God and want to go on with him yet wondering if he is who we thought. 
It is scary to question the creator, the judge, and yet our hearts cry out, God, how can you be like that? So what would you do? What do you do? As Christians, should we just tell ourselves that God is good, whatever we see going on? The Bible says he is, so he is. Should we just look at all the good things that God has done and try and forget the thing that's bothering us? Or if it's something that you've read in the Bible that's bothering you, should you just rip those pages out, pretend he didn't say it? Have you ever tried this? And if so, I wonder how it worked for you. I wonder if you've ever tried this approach in other relationships, maybe with your parents, or your children, or your spouse, or your friends. Much as I would prefer to bury issues, I do find that it doesn't work for me in relationships. If somebody has hurt me, or they've let me down, or I think they've done something that seems to be selfish, it niggles me, and I can't get over it. It does affect my relationship with them, and I find I'm avoiding them a bit. and I don't really trust them. I remember a very experienced person telling me about how he conducted marriage preparation classes. And he said, the first thing, can you imagine this, if you were the couple going, the first thing he says when this couple sit down, all happy because they've got engaged, he says, tell me about your arguments. So it's a surprising start, but he says, basically, if they say to him, oh, we never argue, he knows that they've either just met or that they're burying things and that there's a whole lot of stuff pushed down that needs to be dealt with. It generally works better in our relationships with each other if we talk about the disagreements or the things that we've done that hurt each other. If we hear what the other person has to say and we tell them what we think and feel and we work it out together. If the relationship is with somebody who is good and who loves you, talking about the issue will strengthen the relationship and bring peace and understanding, trust and reconciliation. And that's what we see in this passage. God opens a conversation with Abraham with the aim of sharing his heart with Abraham because God wants Abraham to know him better and to trust him more for himself and for generations to come. And that is the answer to our first question. Why does God share his heart with Abraham? God approaches Abraham. God is not reluctant to discuss and to be questioned by Abraham. He invites Abraham to question him. God wants a heart to heart with Abraham because God is not Father Christmas. God doesn't, Father Christmas just pops in, chucks a gift in your stocking and disappears. But God wants us to know his heart and to be in dialogue with him. God is not a distant or impersonal force, and he's not just a majestic king. Isn't it amazing that God is also our heavenly father, and he invites Abraham to draw near? And this invitation isn't just for Abraham. Jesus says in John chapter 15, I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. 
What we see in this passage isn't bartering, it's a heart-to-heart. God is not being pushed to be more merciful. God is just revealing his heart to Abraham one step at a time. God's heart was always to be just. It was never to punish the righteous. Now, I'm not saying that persisting in petitioning God in prayer doesn't make a difference to situations, because we know it does. The Bible clearly teaches us to go again and again and again to God with our requests. God asks Ezekiel, who will stand in the gap and intercede? Prayer changes situations. Jesus told us to keep praying persistently. But in this story, what we're seeing here is Abraham drawing closer and closer to God and God revealing his heart more and more to Abraham so that Abraham can know that God is good. And it takes a while, doesn't it? Abraham goes to God six times. He starts with 50. What if there are 50 righteous? Then 45, then 30, 20, and then 10. Each time, God assures Abraham, he will not destroy the righteous. God doesn't change his plans here, but reveals them more fully. Because God is loving and just and fair. We already see, did you spot verse 21? God says, I will go down and see what they have done. See if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Because God is not the teacher who puts the whole class on detention because of a few naughty children. God is not the parent who bursts into the room and punishes both children for what one has done. I don't know if you've ever been blamed for something that you haven't done, but you probably remember it. It doesn't feel good. I don't know if any parents here have had the awful realization that they've punished the wrong child, because that doesn't feel good either. But God is not like this. God investigates the situation. God is careful to see that he's just. Six times he assures Abraham, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20, for the sake of the 10. And John Wright writes, by the end, Abraham realizes that God was no monster, but the familiar God of the covenant, yet now larger. Abraham understood God better and was satisfied. At the end of the discussion, I don't know if you noticed, but Abraham still didn't know whether Sodom was going to be destroyed. He actually stops at 10. We're not told why he stops at 10. But we can see that he trusted that God was good, that he would do what was right, and he wouldn't punish the innocent, and he goes home. So, we've looked at what happened many, 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 many years ago. But what does this mean for us today? Well, one thing I want us to notice is Abraham's courage. God didn't just send him a message, this is what I'm going to do. God opened a conversation with him. But Abraham had to respond. Abraham had to enter into this conversation. Abraham had to actually share his concerns and fears with God. He had to own up that he doubted God's goodness. Six times Abraham persisted and pressed in. Look, verse 27, Abraham spoke up again. 
Now I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes. Verse 29, once again he spoke to him. Verse 30, then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. Verse 31, Abraham said, now I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if? Verse 32, again, may the Lord not be angry, let me speak once more, what if? When Abraham entered the discussion, he only had two things to plead to God, and neither of them were his own contribution. They were simply that God had opened the door to the conversation and God's character. And this is what he relies on. He is humble and terrified, but he's also bold. And John Wright writes, we're called to prayer, either to collaborate with God in bringing his will to pass, or so that we may get a larger vision of what he's like. And Abraham grows in boldness as he reduces the number. As Abraham speaks and listens to God, he understands God better. But in the end, I don't know if you've snuck ahead to chapter 19 to see what happens, but in the end, 10 were not found. Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his wife and their, and their daughters, and their daughter's fiancés, are offered a rescue. But the fiancés just scoff, and Lot's wife looks back longingly at what she's left. So in the end, only Lot and his daughters are saved. And that's not because they were perfect, but just because they listened to God and he was merciful. And Abraham discovered God's heart for justice, to save the righteous and to punish those who were doing wrong and crushing the poor. So what about us? Well, I know here tonight we will all be heartbroken about different situations. I'm sure many of them are very different from the one on Abraham's heart. But maybe now, maybe in the past, or maybe in the future, we will all be involved in situations where we feel, this is so wrong. Where are you, God? Are you really fair? Will you really vindicate me in this situation? Do you not see my heartache? when everyone else has this thing that I'm longing for. Do you really love me? Do you really love my friend? Do you really love these people who are suffering so horrendously? And why aren't you doing anything? The answer to our questions are not found in this passage, but the way forwards is. So will we just bury our questions and shut God out and go our own way? Or will we look at Abraham and gather up our courage and speak to God? Will we ask him, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will we plead his character back to him? Lord, you say you hate injustice and sickness and suffering, that you're powerful. So what about my friend? What about my life? What about this nation? It's challenging. It challenges me. When did you last wrestle with God in prayer? When did I last find myself changed by God as he revealed his heart to me? Because I have to admit that my prayers are a bit like my online shopping. (laughs) They're just one way and they're very short and they're often very sort of shallow. For example, I'll sit down and I'll say, Dear Lord, please can I have a good night's sleep, a parking space, good weather at the weekend, 
and please don't let so-and-so be cross with me. That's, that's it. That's pretty much my prayer life most of the time. But God wants a heart-to-heart with us. God wants us to tell him what's on our heart. What are those deep things? And he wants to show his heart to us. Back about 11 years ago, uh, me and my boyfriend, who's now my husband, but we had been going out for four months, and we went to New Year. And we spent New Year with four other friends who were all married. They'd all married with children. They'd been married for years. And we played this game called Mr. and Mrs., I don't know if you've heard of it, but there are 10 questions and you have to answer it for your other half. Things like, what's their favorite ice cream flavor, their favorite view, where do they want to go on holiday, their first pet, things like that. Well, I tell you, we, the newly dating, we won by miles. And I could not understand this at the time. Now I'm married, I do understand. Because... Now we're married, gone are the days of walking to Grantchester hand in hand, pontificating about our dreams and hopes and imaginary scenarios. Now we just send each other text messages that say things like, please buy milk. (laughs) Have you renewed the road tax, put the bins out? Things like that. But the marriage course tells us that in a relationship, We need a date night, once a week and longer as well, where we discuss not the children, not the shopping, not the cleaning, but what's on our hearts, our hopes and our dreams. And also we need time to stop and deal with tricky issues. Businesses pay a fortune for team building days. We came across one in Cambridge the other day, all dressed like pirates looking for clues. And it's amazing that real commercial businesses put all this money into bonding their teams together. On these team building days, I believe, that people don't get more useful skills, they don't grow in their particular area of expertise. But they learn to know each other and to trust each other and to work together with understanding. And isn't it amazing that the God who made the universe wants to grow in relationship with us, in trust, and understanding. He wants to share his heart with us and he invites us to question him again and again about the things that bother us and to keep going until we have an answer. It is extraordinary, but yet when I hear stories about those who have suffered deeply and who've chosen to wrestle with God about this, I can see that God answers each one by his Holy Spirit. Around Christmas time, I heard an incredible talk from HTB, the Holy Trinity Brompton in London, by a mum called Alice Richardson. Her toddler was diagnosed with very extreme leukemia. And in this talk, she talks about that. And she talks about wrestling with God. And to be honest, as I listened to this talk, I didn't totally understand what the answer was that God had given her. But that's because it was her answer from him. And I could see that as she'd wrestled with God, he had met her and he has assured her that he was good and that he loved her and that he loved her family and that he loved her daughter. And I could send you the link if you were interested. It's on the HTB Church website. 
her story is not my story. But it encouraged me that if I go to him, even in an extreme situation, that he can show me his heart of love. And I can come to a place where I can be sure that he is good. So, I leave you with the question, will you dare talk to God? What are the things that you've buried? Those things where you're just not sure that he's good, or you're just not sure that he's just. Situations that you've come across, where you've wondered, God, if you're powerful, what are you doing? Have you just given yourself a lecture and told yourself, he is good, keep going? Have you just turned off the news or put it in a box? Because Abraham invites us to another way. It's God's invitation. God invites us to resolve our issues with him. God claims to be our loving Heavenly Father. Isn't it amazing? You couldn't make it up if it wasn't here in the Bible that the God who made the universe invites you to be his child, to come into his presence, to sit on his knee and cry out to him, what are you doing? Where are you? To question him. So do you dare see for yourself if this is true? If the God who made the universe actually cares about you and the situation on your heart and will take time to walk you through it until you're sure. Prayer changed Abraham and he grew in his relationship with God and he was convinced. And God invites each one of us to be his friend, to approach his throne, to sit on his knee and to cry out our questions to him too until we are sure in our own hearts that he is good and we can trust him. I'm just going to pray for us. Father God, I thank you that your door is open, that you invite us to come to you with our hurts, with our anger, with our questions. I thank you that you're big enough for us to pour out our hearts to you. I thank you that you promise that we can be your friends, that you will listen and that you will walk with us and you will answer us. Amen.